We're in Psalm 4, where uh, there's kind of this title given to it called The Safety of the Faithful. The Safety of the Faithful. And it has this heading to the chief musician or the choir director. We don't really have a choir director, but I guess we have worship leaders. So, <laughs> um, Anyone here want to start a choir? That's, uh, nope? Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> But uh, you remember now the Psalms were kind of the hymnal for the temple or the devotional for the temple uh, back in the day. And so as you read these, you know, there's a lot of uh, songs that are given here. And um, we've been reading through the Psalms with the one-year Bible that we're doing as a church, Eat This Book. So uh, uh, there's, there should be some extra flyers for Eat This Book out there. And it's also on the YouVersion app if you have a tablet or a smartphone. Um, and uh, I think tonight we're in Psalm 7. And uh, we're in like Genesis, probably 24, 25. Um, but uh, it's been fun because in the Psalms, reading them with the kids. And so we always have the action Bible in front of us. And I'll read from the, oh, that's a good reminder. Let's all turn our phones off. I think Sunday, we kind of, I don't have mine off, so don't feel bad. Everyone needs to turn theirs off. Um, but uh, reading through just the scriptures with my family, but I have the action Bible opened up to kind of follow along with some pictures as we go along. So if you have kids, um, you need some pictures. Uh, if you don't have kids and you're Ken, maybe you'll want to do that. But uh, but when we get to a psalm, we flip open to some picture of David strumming along on his harp, you know, and uh, the, the passages lately have said, like, to the chief musician set to an eight-string instrument or something. Maybe you saw that yesterday. So I've been having Lainey, you know, pluck her eight-string instrument while I read it, you know, or I think the night before last was uh, set to a flute or something. So she was, you know, as we're reading and who knows if she's getting anything out of it, but, but I am trusting the word doesn't come back void. Um, but uh, this is a Psalm with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. Uh, so we have it kind of broken into two little sections here. First of all, we have David talking to God and, uh, and then David talking to men. And so verse one, we have him talking to God. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me or be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And so we have this Crying out to the Lord, a title, a wonderful title for the Lord, O God of my righteousness. Uh, but you might underline in your Bible, you have relieved me in my distress. This is kind of a, uh, you've done it before, Lord, do it again type of a phrase. You have relieved me in my distress. God, we can pray now, you've done it for David. Do it for me. Uh, Charles Spurgeon writes, this is another instance of David's common habit of pleading past mercies as a ground for present favor. And that's kind of a phrase we've been using lately. It's a phrase that some of my mentors ingrained in me. I think it's an Oswald. I always get Oswald Chambers and Oswald Sanders mixed up. So sorry. That's one of those Oswald guys. How many are there? Um, but he, you know, they have this phrase that his past faithfulness demands my present trust. And remember when Aaron taught about a month and a half or two months ago, we, that was just a common phrase that Sunday. That's kind of what David has here. He has this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm calling on you now, 
You've done it in the past. You have relieved my distress in the past. Uh, so pleading past mercies as a ground for present favor. I was just thinking as I was uh, actually studied for this two weeks ago and didn't get that far. So I had to go back through and review everything that I'd studied. It's almost harder than just restudying for it all over again. But I today as I was studying, I was thinking of the um, Nepal banquet. We're going to pray for the Nepal taste of Nepal banquet tonight. And uh, just thinking about events that have been put on in the past uh, in my life, maybe not here, but um, you know, in past ministry experiences and then things that God has done here that just have been just radical things that were above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think, as Paul writes to the Ephesians. Uh, and, and so we're going to pray that out tonight, just thinking of the, as Delina's here, and she's kind of carrying the greatest weight uh, for that, and Shannon is here with the big weight on her shoulders for this, um, and the whole team, a lot of the team is here for that. We're going to pray over that and just, we're going to declare, Lord, you've been faithful here. We know you're going to be faithful there. So do what you got to do in the next three weeks for the Taste of Nepal Banquet to be something that will glorify you and further your kingdom. Um, <clears throat> prayer is the soul's desire expressed. And we have that in David here. Hear me when I call. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Uh, and, and so that's the prayer to the Lord. But then we have this transition kind of where David talks to men. Okay, and so primarily we have David talking to men, but you can also uh, read into it uh, the Lord speaking to men. Um, so it says, how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? And then there's this pause here, just kind of a time for meditation. Uh, some things read that it's a time for the instruments to be tuned back up again. They probably didn't hold a tune for very long. And so there's this like, you know, tuning, and then everyone's pausing and meditating on it. So how long? Men. It's directed to men now. Will you turn my glory to shame? Does anyone's mind go anywhere in this? Taking glory, the glory of God, and exchanging it for shame? Is there a scripture that's just, that's kind of just this grand theme? The glory of God exchanged for shame or corruptible things? Romans 1. You guys know. Don't be shy. You get shy when you don't sit in a circle. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Just kidding. Romans 1, 18 through 25. Uh, this is one verse that I'll just read tonight, and then we'll kind of share the load for reading scriptures. But Romans 1, 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful 
but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And so this is this radical indictment against the pagan. In chapter 2 of Romans, we'll have an indictment against the self-righteous religious who's just as condemned in his sin. Uh, But here we have just this broad scope of mankind who is a de-godded God. They have exchanged the glory of God and, and instead put the glory of corruptible things in his place. Uh, just kind of this whole idea of the, the heart of every single sin is a worship disorder. Uh, it's, it's changing the glory of the incorruptible God for, for created things. As it says there in 25, it's exchanging the truth of God for a lie. There's this great exchange that takes place. Uh, and they worship created things rather than the creator. And so, uh, you know, David's writing this from his human perspective, but he's writing it under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. He's being carried along and moved by the Spirit to write this. Uh, and it's really just this indictment on human beings and their radical depravity. And Romans 1 will go on to just uh, show what that dishonor of of their uh, of their bodies looks like in the midst of all of this paganism. So uh, we have just a big fallen condition focus there in verse two. How long, O sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame, and will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Um, quick prayer request: Whenever you teach in James. Uh, or whenever you teach a subject, you got to just know you're going to be living it out that, that week. And so taught on trials this week and Sunday, um, taught about counting it all joy when you fall into various trials. And I got a phone call Sunday, uh, from my mom that my uncle Ron from my mom's side passed away. Um, he's married to my mom's sister and he's a guy that has, um, as far as we know, perished in his sins, never surrendered to Jesus and had many, many times that the gospel was preached to him and, and, um, was a a severe alcoholic in bondage to alcohol. And, uh, that was his God, uh, for, you know, 65, 70 years. Um, his God was alcohol. He lost a leg to alcohol. He had had children plead with him, uh, with the gospel to turn from sin and to submit to the Lord. And, just so sad uh, to see kind of the end of that. And trusting the Lord, God is merciful, God is gracious. You never know what happened in those final moments of kind of alcohol poisoning in his body. But we're going up to uh, Portland this weekend, and I'm part of the memorial service there. And just heard that my family is really, um, really struggling and trusting the Lord. And uh, just... That whole man's responsibility, God's sovereignty aspect of salvation. So, would appreciate prayer as conversations like that will take place, and and um, and you know, one big aspect of that is uh, this Psalm 
4-1 or 4-2, um, turning glory to shame and uh, loving worthlessness and seeking falsehood rather than the most worthy one and the most true one, um, the Lord Jesus Christ. So appreciate prayer for that. Verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart, or the original text, the Lord has made wonderful for himself him who is godly. So this word to these men who have just gone full-blown into their depravity. They need to know that the Lord has set apart or made wonderful for himself the one who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. So just picking apart this first verse, uh, Ephesians 2.10 is just a great commentary on verse 3. Dakota, will you read this? Ephesians 2.10. You know, the context of that is by grace we've been saved through faith. Uh, It's not of works, lest anyone should boast that free gift of God. Um, Before that, even, it talks about how we are all children of wrath outside of Jesus Christ. But he has come and broken down that middle wall of separation, and he's done this great work in us, a sanctifying work, uh, a work where we are made wonderful for him. We are his workmanship, created for good works there. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 9. Um, Cheryl, will you read that out? So the Lord has set us apart, made wonderful for himself. He's made us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, holy nation, all these great things, a special people for a purpose. We've learned this so much in the last few months as we keep going back to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, so all of this was for a purpose, so that we would proclaim his praises as we sang that song tonight. Titus 2.14, who wants to read it? He's setting apart for himself making wonderful for himself the people who are godly, redeeming us, um, purifying us as a special people, zealous for good works. This uh, verse in uh, uh, verse, verse 3 here ends with, the Lord will hear when I call to him. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Um, our last psalm that we were in, Psalm 3, is the psalm of David that he writes when he's fleeing Jerusalem as his son Absalom has led a revolt. And so he uh, got out of Dodge in order to save uh, the city and save the people. He knew that they wouldn't win in a battle against um, all the men of Israel that Absalom had led away. And so David, as he uh, heads up the Mount of Olives and kind of makes the crest there, uh, verse 4 of chapter 3 says, um, I cried to the Lord with my voice. And he heard me from his holy hill. And then there's a Selah there. And so David just going up, weeping, sackcloth and ashes, just uh, barefoot, just the whole group of people that are fleeing Jerusalem. You remember that from two weeks ago? Going up the Mount of Olives, uh, he turns in a, just a time of sorrow, um, just a low point in his life. His son has turned against him, led an army against him, leaving Jerusalem, leaving his throne. And it says he looked around and he prayed. He looked over to the the holy hill of the Lord and he prayed in that direction. And then you kind of see just a change in that psalm. Do you guys remember that? Seeing the change in the psalm and uh, great encouragement and rest came to David after that time of worshiping the Lord and crying out to the Lord. Uh, 
David Gudzig says, each Christian should have the same assurance. They should be confident that God will hear their prayers. When prayer seems ineffective, it is worth it to take a spiritual inventory to see if there's a reason for unanswered prayer. The Bible tells us there are many reasons why prayer may not be answered. Just a few of these. Not abiding in Jesus. Unbelief. Failure to fast. A bad marriage relationship. Unconfessed sin. Lying and deceitfulness. Lack of Bible reading and Bible teaching. Trusting in the length or the form of our prayers. But oh how verse 3 is um, is just all throughout the psalm. We're going to see this. The Lord will hear when I call to him. But it's good to look at our lives and just take an inventory. How are these things? Have they? Is there things in my lives that have been left unchecked? I remember um, in 2009 when Lindsay and I were praying about... Um, where we were supposed to move, and we'd fasted, and as a church, it was the first kind of week-long fast that I'd ever done, and I was reading through the Psalms during that time, and just kind of pleading with the Lord to open up a door and show us where we were supposed to move, and if we were supposed to go plant a church, or what, you know, and just fasting, and praying, and crying out, and going through the Psalms, we're going to see as we go through the next, however long it takes, and whatever comes in between then, but we're going to see this all the time. I cried to the Lord, and he answered. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered. He is faithful to answer as we cry out to him. And you know what? I was like, why aren't you answering yet? It's day one of the fast, man. Come on, be patient. But, uh, but the Lord answered over time. He answered. Uh, verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. That's what he did as he called out to the Lord. Um, Oh, did we jump jump down there? I'm sorry. Uh, oh, say, verse uh, 4. Sorry about that. Edit that in the recording tomorrow, Jeremy. Okay, that'd be great. Yep. So David goes from talking to God to talking to men, and now he talks to himself. Uh, verses 4 and 5, he calms himself before the Lord. And he says, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. So picture him going through this tumultuous time in life and lays down on his pillow. And if you're like me, you lay down and just every stressful thing and thing you got to do tomorrow, <laughs> all that agricultural stuff you got to get done. And is it going to rain? And, you know, and it just, you know, or perhaps the offenses that people have uh, made against you. And he's laying down, he's talking to himself. He says, be angry or Tremble, be agitated, but don't sin in it. Okay, um, meditate within your heart and your bed, and be still. Uh, Ephesians four twenty six. It seems that Paul quotes this again uh, in Ephesians four twenty six twenty seven, and then even verse thirty two. I don't know if I put thirty two in there, but someone read verse twenty six and twenty seven as it comes up on the screen. It's like Paul quotes this psalm. Reading this the other night, it was so funny. Uh, Lainey, he just said, be angry, you know, and, um, and then we're like, and Lindsay's like, yeah, doesn't it say, you know, don't let the sun do go down on your wrath. So there's this, be angry, don't sin. There's this uh, great wisdom of do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Uh, the individual in the Psalms is on his bed while he's angry. Uh, but it says here in verse 27, it kind of goes on. 
don't give place to the devil as you let that anger just fester in your heart. Um, sometimes the sun already is down when you're angry. <laughs> so you get a whole day for it to cycle. No, I'm joking. Don't, don't listen to me. Uh, but also Ephesians 4.32 uh, elaborates on that a little bit more. Uh, it says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ or God in Christ has forgiven you. So there's this agitation. Uh, there's this uh, being angry. Uh, it's possible to be angry and not sin, but it's sinful to be angry with men. Uh, first of all, if our anger is without a cause or when it's unreasonable and doesn't bear a proportion to the offense, when it is sudden and it allows no time for reflection or for explanation, when it's long anger and continuous and is settled down into hatred with malice. Uh, that's where it's turned into a sinful anger. Uh, verse 5, of offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? And so this is a part in the psalm where David receives blessing from the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Any festive, pleasant beauty, it literally means. Uh, this is really David quoting the voice of a cynic here, kind of the non-believer who's going through a trial. Uh, is anything good ever going to come? It could be translated, oh, for good days. Oh, for good days. I think I mentioned that on Sunday. There was a time in my life when my granny died, my dad died. There was just hospital after hospital after hospital after living in camp trailers outside the hospital. And I remember going through a season like, just like about 10-year period where I have no trials, Lord, that would be awesome. Anybody ever been there? Just a season of nothing bad ever happening. That would be really good. Um, and, and that can often be our cry. Oh, for the good days. But David responds to the complaining that's going on, the voice of the cynic. He says, uh, Lord, I lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Give us your mercy is what that's crying out for. The Psalm, uh, Psalm 80 kind of has that theme throughout it. In Psalm 83, he says, restore us, O God, cause your face to shine on us and we'll be saved. And then Psalm 87 says, restore us, O God of hosts, O God of the angels, <clears throat> cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. And then verse 19 of Psalm 80, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. We'll get into that idea in just a minute as we're wrapping up of this. Cause your face to shine upon us. Give us your blessings, Lord. Verse 7, you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. So this is what happens when the Lord lifts up the light of his countenance on us. There's gladness in our heart, and it's more than the the day of, uh, you guys know it, you farmers, that final cutting, you know, it's the last cutting of alfalfa, and you lift that swather header up, and you're like, let's go blow it off and service it and put it in the barn for the winter, you know, or you're just like done with that final cut, and you've got the, uh, you've got the, the fruits of the harvest to rejoice in, and especially if you're growing something you can eat or partake of, uh, then you get to have a feast with that, uh, with the fruit of your labor, and uh, those are glorious, exciting times. Um, 
Acts 14, 14, uh, speaking to non-believers about these seasons where God brings increase of, uh, of, those, uh, of the fruits and the yield. Uh, Acts 14, 14 through 17. Someone read this section. So uh, testifying to the, uh, where was this? This was, uh, I want to say Lydda. Is that where that was, where they wanted to sacrifice to uh, Paul and Silas? And, and they said, what are you doing? We're just men like you. Don't worship us. And uh, they end up getting stoned because of this little sermon here. Um, but, or Paul did. And uh, notice that part of just the testimony and the witness is where their provision of life comes from. Uh, that it's the Lord who fills our heart with food and with gladness. And right now, uh, Kevin and Sean and I were um, hiking together the other day, and uh, we're just trying to figure out how we're going to witness to the Nepali people because we're going to a place that's never heard the name Jesus. Um, and so they're encouraging us to have just to contextualize the gospel to where these people are at. You know, we've got to just completely rethink how we're talking to people. And, and you know, it'll be a very similar thing uh, as this is how they're, uh, witnessing to the to the Lida people, I believe it was, um, and you know, just Kevin and I talking about how these are people that they just labor and labor to get a harvest, and um, and just from John, you know, don't labor for that 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 perishes. Um, turn to the Lord, man. As you worship the Lord, seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. God adds to you things like keeping keeping your belly full, so that you can go about his kingdom purposes. So, uh, Psalm 67, one through seven. Um, this has been just a life transforming verse, um, this year for me, we've taught it here on Wednesday night. We've taught it Sunday morning, uh, with our vision statement rollout. But, uh, you'll remember some of these David has already said, but, uh, in this Psalm tonight, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Has he said that so far in this Psalm? He's already said, be merciful to us. He's already says, said, cause your face to shine upon us uh, so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. So the joy of the harvest season and the, and the times of the Lord's mercy being shining upon us, it's for the purpose of his way, and it could actually be translated your way of salvation being known among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. And so that... Our psalm tonight speaks about the gladness of having the wine and the grain just overflowing the granaries and overflowing the vine, wine vats, vine vats, whatever. Uh, you know, uh, those purposes of gladness don't end with us, but they end with it going out to the, the community and to the nations that they might praise the Lord for his ways of salvation. Uh, the reason that the earth yields its increase and God blesses us is that all of the ends of the earth should fear him. And Psalm 67 is just a great chapter on that. Wrapping up, verse 8, I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O God, make me dwell in safety. So you kind of can get the idea as he's writing this. You know, there's times where he's got his head on his pillow. He's getting angry. Be angry, do not sin, you know. And 
there's some peace there, and he's writing about, you know, just to the Lord, just talking to the Lord, receiving blessings in his prayer time, as we just read. And now he's lying down in peace, and it seems he's drifting off into sleep. Because you alone are the Lord, make me dwell in safety. In our chapter last time, while David was fleeing Absalom, he stopped, he looked over, he worshiped the Lord, and uh, a peace came over him so that he slept. Psalm 3, 5 is that psalm where uh, you know, he's so disturbed, his son led that rebellion, he gets to the top of the Mount of Olives, he turns, he prays, he worships, and uh, he says, and then I lay down and slept, and I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Uh, Where's it a psalm? He, he will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. Because he trusts in you. Um, Romans 8, 37. We'll end with that scripture tonight. Romans 8, 37 through 39. Who wants to read it? So the Lord has relieved David from all distress. And when we go and lay our head on our pillow tonight, we can have this just heroic passage of Jesus and how he has loved us with this everlasting love. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ as we are in the midst of trials. Head goes to the pillow. There's some, oh gosh, this is going on, this is going on. These men have, you know, have have shamed me, as David wrote. Um, man, cry out to the Lord. Receive the blessings from the Lord. Uh, they are there in Christ Jesus. So.